You're listening to The Law Firms of the Future, presented by Zero. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to another episode of The Law Firms of the Future. My name is Bernie Toledano. I'm the head of marketing at Zero and the host of this podcast. I'm thrilled to welcome Jerry Levine, Global General Counsel and Corporate Secretary of IPsoft, a leading cognitive AI computing and autonomic technologies company. As IPsoft's first in-house counsel, Jerry has implemented corporate policies to bring the company's legal strategies into a new phase of sophistication. Prior to joining IPsoft, Jerry founded and managed his own law firm and held a number of roles within alternative legal service providers and legal technology companies. Jerry has been recognized on the Legal 500's GC Power List and by Modern Counsel as one of today's most influential in-house counsel. So welcome, Jerry. Hi, Bernie. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. So let's start with hearing more about your career history and how you ended up at IPsoft. Sure. I have a bit of a, and you captured it pretty well, I have a bit of an interesting career path uh, because I'm very, I would say I'm very non-traditional in how I got to where I am. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of, of in-house counsel, especially at the GC level, have, are the types where it's been, I went to a big law, then I left and went in-house. And I, I don't think that, I, and I completely respect that. I think it's a great way to go if it works. I don't think it could have ever worked for me. And I know plenty of other GCs who would ha- who would ha- who, for whom it hasn't worked either. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, I, I started out in a tradition, a very traditional way. I went for a clerkship and then I had, then I went and thinking I was going to be a litigator. I went to a well-respected New Jersey, New Jersey uh, mid-sized boutique firm that had had a lot of really high profile clients. And it turned out that after a couple of years of being a litigator, primarily, I, I was really unhappy. And I said, there's got to be something else. So one day I just said, you know what, I'm taking a few weeks off. I'm going to figure out what I want to do. And I, I ended up going in, getting a call from a friend at, who started a discovery company. And he said, I need my number two to be, I would like my number two to be you. And I said, sure, sounds great. Uh, so that really was where I think I figured out what I wanted to do, which was I loved being in-house. I loved having you know, clients who would be able to pick my clients in some ways. And so I did that for a little bit, went back out where I founded my own firm, started working. This was really during the big startup craze in New York, uh, probably the 2010s, the 2010 craze and 2011. And then ultimately started getting calls from alternative providers and other companies saying, hey, you know, Uh, we've heard good things about you. Would you be interested in coming and working for us? So after about two years there, uh, I ended up getting a call from IPsoft and they said, we're building, we're going to be hiring our first GC. Uh, You've got the right background. We're looking for someone who understands technology, who's got a good head on their shoulders for law and can work with business people without driving them nuts. Uh, So I can't promise the third one's true, but at least I've, I've, got a good, I've got good experience. Um, so it's really, been, it's really been an interesting change. And I don't think, you know, it's, it's been rough at times, you know, 
leaving and starting my own firm, I was, I sat down and said, Oh my God, what am I doing a month into it? Uh, and you know, it's a lot of perseverance and a lot of going, okay, you know, we're just going to have to pound the pavement and get more out there. Uh, but I'm very happy with IPsoft. I'm very happy in what I do. Uh, I love being in house. It's great. And I think it seems like it's that lack of linearity that led you to kind of the dream job as opposed to taking a defined path. You sort of created your own. I, I think so. I think that you can, you can take a very linear path to being a GC. Uh, you can take a very nonlinear path to being a GC. And ultimately, you know, in some ways, one of the things that I think is important for being in-house is you have to understand that that separation between between risk and profit almost because you can be the most risk adverse company in the world but it's going to be very hard to take steps to make something new if you look at some of the largest companies in the world they're extremely risk adverse but they're constantly having to fight or acquire startups or smaller companies to do to find their next to find their next big product you know, you, you run into uh, questions about risk where out, outside in a, in a law firm, it's all about combating risk and, and stopping people from taking risks. And in-house, in, in uh, and I've told this to my, my team, is, you know, sometimes you just have to say, okay, sure, we'll let that go. But, and you take down a note. So it comes down to you know, where can you agree to a risk, where you can agree to a risk. Uh, I think having, you know, the ability of trying to have built my own practice and having run out the door and having said to someone, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to make, make my own way is a very different and exciting and sometimes terrifying way to live one's life. But it's, it's all, it all lets, it, it all comes into play on how you actually uh, ultimately end up deciding what you want to do. Absolutely. And related to your role now, how do you think um, working in-house at a tech company informs your perspective on the legal tech ecosystem? Uh, so I am a huge nerd uh, and that's good and bad because I want to buy every single new legal tech product that comes out that I think will improve everything. But at the same time, I know I've got a budget and I can't always do that. Uh, so the legal tech ecosystem is so crazy right now. It kind of reminds me of, uh, well, put it this way. When I, when I graduated, e-discovery was the hottest thing in the world. What that means for legal tech today, I'm not sure because obviously we've seen a lot of combination consolidation in legal tech, in e-discovery, I'm sorry. But I think that the general idea of technology and law is going to force lawyers to improve. Um, you know, to this day, a lot of lawyers still don't want to use technology to assist them because they're scared of it. And Working for an AI company, you know, I see a lot of areas where I could say, you know, where we could say, you know, and we, we, we don't have, we're not primarily focused on legal, on lawyers and legal ecosystem, but where we can see that there's a, a lot of areas for improvement for lawyers, 
for law, for law firms and even in-house. I do think in-house lawyers are more likely to ad adopt technology very quickly um, because they have to. When you're dealing with, when you're dealing with a, a smaller team or a limited number of people, you have to do that. Um, but I think ultimately being a, tech, being a technologist, being someone who wants to improve these things, I'm always looking for ways that, that I can improve turnaround time, that I can help my team uh, manage things remotely. We've been, we've been very successful during the whole COVID-19 crisis because we, could, we were able to switch almost instantaneously from an in-office workspace to an out-of-office workspace. Something that I can't imagine, uh, that you really can't imagine people doing five years ago. Uh, if, I don't remember if you were around for Super Strong Sandy, but you know, five years ago when, or whenever, the, whenever the massive, that massive Superstorm hit, it, it decimated law firms. No one was ready to make that switch. Today, I was able to, to, at least internally, we were able to switch right away to working remotely. And then we were able to get into managing with our firms remotely, which has been very, very effective. Um, but I'm happy to answer a further question on that if, if there is one. So my follow-up is actually about, um, so you mentioned that uh, in-house counsel in general have more uh, kind of pressure, I would say, to incorporate technology into their departments to work more efficiently. And um, I was wondering if technology was a criteria by which you judge your outside counsel and what other criteria you use uh, or kind of which other characteristics you seek in your outside counsel. So that, that's, a, that's a very, very good question. I, I do think we tend to have the best results with the more tech-minded law firms. More tech-savvy firms, and especially whether big, whether mega firms like Greenberg Traurig or DLA Piper, uh, I, uh, our IP boutique, which is a Pearl Cohen, and then the, the folks we work with through Priori Legal have all been really, really good and at this entire area and also managing the technology. What has been nice with working through with, with those firms has been an almost seamless, a seamless shift uh, from working with them going to their offices to working with them working from their home offices. In some cases I've seen, I've had calls with them on the beach where I've told them, you know, I'm only paying you half the time if you're working on the beach. But uh, beyond that, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, but ultimately, what, what the, there has to be the switchover from the idea that we're all going to work in an office, everything is going to be centralized, to being able to log in and communicate. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of companies have shifted to using, uh, have turned on Microsoft Teams during this process. And it's amazing that I'm able to instantaneously reach out to a lawyer at one of my law firms with a quick message, cross, cross firm communication from our, from our servers, from, well, not our servers, but from our, our instance of Teams to say, uh, say the law firm's instance of Microsoft Teams and get that going so that I'm not waiting for an email. Uh, but also being able to just share files, being able to say, here's access to our e-discovery tools, here's access to our contract management system, Here's, that, here's what we need you guys to have access to. 
um, has been very, very, very effective. And I think it's going to be become more and more of a qualification point for in-house counsel purchasing legal services to say, what technology are you using? Are you able to work remotely without having any downtime? Uh, unfortunately, you know, this means, this means, well, fortunately for in-house counsel, maybe not so fortunately for partners who have to spend the expense of, of investment at the law firms, this really means that there's going to be a big push for, for remote technologies even more so than there is today, an improvement on how fast you can turn around and shift between a, a in-office workspace to a remote workspace and those that can't do it instantaneously, I think, are going to be are going to be seeing their seeing clients are going to have to leave because they're simply going to say, "Here, you know, I can't rely that you'll be available if there's another crisis." Um, so, you know, I've got to make sure that I have someone as backup and ultimately a fail a failover in that case. Um, but again, it's we've had a pretty good run during this crisis to see who is available, who is ready to move, and who is going to be, who is, for, for lack of a better word, is a laggard in this situation. Um, and, but I think it's only going to become more important for firms to, be, to, to become more tech savvy, more tech, uh, tech oriented in terms of what they're using in the office than ever before. I think that makes a lot of sense. Kind of beyond technology, uh, and especially given sort of the zeitgeist, uh, what would you say are other characteristics that you seek in outside counsel, or what are characteristics that you actively try to avoid? You know, I, I want timeliness. I want, I want dedication, and I want responsiveness. And I think that's that's going to be true across every every in-house lawyer who interfaces outside. Um, and again, this going back to that tech, to that tech sense, you know, the, the, a lot of times for, for an in-house attorney, all we want is, is that response and knowing that, that they've come back to us. Uh, what we're seeing right now publicly and, and I, you know, it, we're seeing in, as you noted in the zeitgeist, we're seeing a lot of change and a lot of focus, uh, today on, diversity, inclusion, elimination of bias in hiring and in selection of folks who are working, the people who are working on your, on your legal projects. Um, so I think we're really going to see a big push for more diverse, highly qualified teams working on various projects. And I think that's going to become more and more important. Um, and I, I think what we do want is, is general excellence. We want in-house counsel, we want our outside firms and our internal teams to reflect what we see in the world. Uh, part of this is going to be encouraging more diversity at the law school level, but ultimately that diversity has to be reflected in both hiring of outside counsel in law firms and has to be reflected in hiring internally. I, you know, I, I look at this as being something that is super positive. It brings a lot of different viewpoints into, into, you know, how we approach things. 
Um, I'm proud that I have a very, that I have a pretty diverse team in terms of, in term, oh, gosh, I, I'm going to cut that off and try to restart that sentence. Okay. Um, three, two, one. I'm proud that, that both inside and outside IPsoft, we've assembled a pretty diverse team of, of lawyers and staff that are working on those areas, which has really enabled us to bring a lot of different viewpoints into when we're making decisions and reflecting what people are going through. Um, you know, the, the real goal should be to have teams that are excellent and reflect the wider characteristic of both our, our neighborhoods, of our, of our areas, and of the, the market as a whole. Um, and, I, and personally, I don't have a good way to do that other than to say, you know, we have to, we have to consider everyone. We have to look at what we're, what we're presenting. We have to encourage uh, diverse hiring, and we have to make sure that as we're doing that, we're hiring the best people we can get, um, which I think, I think ultimately means that you have a much better, much more well-rounded, much more effective legal, legal workforce internally and for outside counsel. Absolutely. Uh, I completely agree with that. And I think that philosophy transcends legal. Uh, diversity is definitely a really important piece in uh, composing any team. So it's great to see that, especially in-house counsel, are uh, really kind of pushing this issue with their firms, uh, because I think that's kind of, that's what's required for law firms to really make a push for diversity. I, I mean, one of the things that, that I think has been the status thing, and obviously, I know you're not showing us in video, but, you know, I, I recognize that I have privilege. And, you know, it's surprising to see, so I've, I've been reading on LinkedIn from other lawyers, from other exceptionally qualified people who, you know, I, I wish I had gotten their resume when I'm hiring. And of course, I would love to see them submit again when I have my next opening. It has been just the amount of, uh, amount of minority candidates who have, have, who have said, gosh, all of a sudden, despite my doctoral degree, despite my JD, despite my master's in this, all of a sudden, now I'm getting all these job offers and calls. And the fact that this has been going on, and again, like I said, I've been privileged in, in many ways. And the fact that, you know, I'm seeing these things is very upsetting. Because to me, it shouldn't be, it, it sh we should never be looking at someone's name or the color of their skin or their background in any way, their racial background, religious, all of that. It, we should really be looking at what they bring, what their experience is, what they've, what they've done and what they can bring in. And, you know, noticing the amount of people who've been reporting that, reporting what they've experienced in the past few weeks uh, has just been, is, is dismaying that it's taken an event like this to wake up so many other people um, with everything that's been going on, but it's definitely long overdue. And it's something that, it, that lawyers especially, who should be at the forefront of racial justice, should be at the forefront of making sure people uh, of, from all backgrounds
backgrounds, all qualifications, all experiences have, are, are getting their ability to, to participate in the profession and to, to build themselves up and encourage growth across everything. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sad, but I'm really happy to see that everybody's really waking up and hopefully, you know, this leads to lasting systemic change. Exactly. And I think, uh, you know, you brought this up that I think the, uh, the role of social media in driving this, I think, is and will continue to be pretty significant. And I hope that people continue to share their stories, uh, kind of whether positive or negative, because they're really important for all of us who might not have been aware of these issues and might have kind of had our own privilege and not um, really been able to see that. So that I think those uh, those stories being told on social media really helps to drive awareness and kind of as a result, drive real change. I, I hope so. And I think so. Yeah. So speaking of LinkedIn, uh, so your LinkedIn bio mentions that you call your legal practice awesome law, which I love. And I would love to hear more about what that means to you. So this is, this is a fun story. Um, so when I started my, my own firm, uh, years ago, I was, I ended up going to a lot of startup technology events. And the one thing that kept happening was you'd, we'd end up talking to these startup founders uh, who were really, who desperately needed help. And, you know, and I wanted to be the one to help them. And all they kept saying was, you're, it's, it's so cool to have awesome lawyers like you guys. It's great that you guys are doing this. Uh, you know, we kept getting, what can you do? Oh, this is great, wonderful. And I said, you know what? The practice of law that I want to have is awesome law. I want to be the type of person, the type of lawyer that people call, not just because they have a problem, but, uh, and at the time, 10 years ago, it was not just because they were calling, but because they want to go out drinking. Uh, now it's more, not because of, they have a problem, but because I'll solve it. Um, and, and that's, that's really what I think, that's really how I look at awesome law. You should not be, as, as a lawyer, you should not be sitting there going, well, you know, you really can't do that. You really can't, these are really things you shouldn't be doing. And it should be, it should be more of, well, you know, you could do that, but here is why we should do this instead. And this will have a much better result. Um, and I think that's the core of it is what, what do we need to make happen to make sure that that you as a startup founder or as a or as a company or as a individual can be successful and what can i as a lawyer as an awesome lawyer do to make that easy now that doesn't mean giving in on everything the client wants but it means it means that you're there as a partner as a real source of solutions and not just as a, oh, well, lawyer, the lawyer said we can't do this. So I guess we're going to go, I guess we're just going to toss that down the drain. But I, I think that's really the core. Um, other things that I really put in place in what I think is part of being awesome law, law is being reachable. You know, I, I have, I, I've always wanted to be someone as a lawyer that if someone needs me, they can reach me. Uh, look, as, as funny as it sounds, I told people, if you need me, text me. This is showing my age, but I used to say, it's like Kim Possible. 
call me, beat me, any way you'll reach me. And, <laughs> I remember now that, yeah. and now it's more, however you need to reach me. You can call me, you can find me on Teams, you can find me on WhatsApp, Signal, Telegram, Keybase. I, I've made it incredibly, I want to be incredibly easy to reach so that at least you know you're getting somewhere. And this is something that I think applies internally and externally. You know, we, and going back to what I was saying earlier, I want my outside lawyers to respond. If nothing else to say, they've got the message and they're working on it. And I think that that's more and more key because you don't want to sit there as an in-house counsel for three days, four days, a week, hoping someone has got the message and will respond eventually. You want someone to come back and say, I'm here, I've got it, I'm working on it, I'm done. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, being an awesome lawyer is about being responsive to your client or clients, depending on where you're, where, what stage of your life you're in and what kind of practice you're in. Um, it's about developing the right answers. It's about being able to recognize what your, what your client needs from a lawyer and from their attorneys and from their counsel. And then being able to really go and say at the end, I've done the best job I can for my client or my clients, and I'm delivering what they need at the time they need it so that they can be effective and they can deliver a win for themselves. Um, but that's the crux of awesome law. Uh, it didn't hurt that at the time I got invited out a lot to drink and uh, I got to wear jeans and a t-shirt to go meet clients too. Uh, so there was that kind of startup mentality at the time. And since then, it's really just evolved to being, you know, how do you deliver the best customer service? How do you deliver the best answers? And how do you deliver what you need to deliver to keep the client happy and to make them go, that's really, the job they did was really awesome. I'm so glad to have worked with, worked with Jerry. I think that's great. And I actually, I love how human that is that, uh, that's how a real person could describe their lawyer as opposed to um, kind of the corporate speak that you could sometimes, one might sometimes see in a testimonial. So I think it's great to um, kind of always maintain that human approach of making your client, like understanding what your clients want as people and addressing them where they are as opposed to just thinking purely in corporate terms that don't relate to actual people. Well, it's, it's, it's difficult because we're trained as lawyers, you know, uh, we're, we're trained to almost, I wouldn't, I don't want to say dehumanize the client, but it's kind of like you, you don't want, if, if you're going to have a surgery, you want a doctor who's a robot in the, sur in the surgical room. Um, you want them to know what they're doing and not have any emotion, just get the job done and only come out with the successful look on their face that they've accomplished what they set in to do. And I think you have that same problem in other professions like law, where there's a distinct lack of humanity sometimes in the way we approach what we're, what we're doing. Um, and in some cases I, I get it, you know, uh, a lot of lawyers have to work on, uh, you know, they get hired to work and represent a client that may be doing something they don't like. Um, and, and I can't imagine what it's like personally. I could never be a good criminal lawyer. Uh, wow, I just said that so New York. <laughs> yeah. I could never be a good criminal lawyer. 
Um, uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, I have great respect for a lot of criminal defense attorneys. I have great respect for folks who go and can argue a contrary position to what they believe in. But I think that's something that really is that, that it's a different practice. It's a different type of law. Um, and that's just as important as knowing what you're doing. But at the same time, I feel like in that situation, I, if, if I was at a law firm, I'd be going and saying, uh, sorry, I don't take cases like that. And I know there are a lot of lawyers who do do that. But from a corporate, from a, from a in-house practitioner perspective, and from representing corporate clients and from representing small businesses and, and startups, you have to understand what they're going through and you have to treat them and you have to look at them regardless of their size as being able to say, hey, you know, I want you to succeed here too. I don't just want to collect my money and go home. I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing gets you guys to a successful place. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm saying guys, I'm using it generically. I'm not really, I'm not using it in any specific male sense. Uh, but, you know, uh, and I, I guess I could say, you all or you folks need to really, you as a lawyer, you really want to drive them to getting to the best result that they can. And I think that's the, that's the core of it is that it's all about success. It's all about driving the best results you can for your client and also being a human as you do it, because it really helps inform how you make a decision. And ultimately, if you look at it through the eyes of, if you, if you turn on your human eyes and not just your lawyer eyes, you see different results and you see different solutions that may be better than a purely legal solution. I think, um, yeah, I think that's great. Um, you know, I think that perspective uh, makes a lot of sense. And I think that in terms of other advice that you would give to uh, kind of young lawyers who are starting out in their careers. Uh, so you graduated from law school in 2007, so shortly before the last major recession. So given kind of the current state of the market, what would your advice be to law students and young lawyers who are struggling right now? Well, that is the question of the year, isn't it? Uh, and I think this is across every industry, but I will talk only to young lawyers and law students. Um, I think the first thing to keep in mind is that everything is a cycle. You know, uh, when I graduated and I was clerking and all this was going on, I was devastated. I had offers that were rescinded. I had... Uh, I was actually interviewing in other countries to take jobs in other countries. And of course, the crisis was everywhere then, just as it is now. Uh, but the, the key here is, is I, I think, ultimately was perseverance. You know, it's, it's not, it, it is not a great time, but it's also not as bad, if that makes sense. Um, at, least, at least from my view, it's, it's tough. And I see that there's a lot of, there's a lot of difficulty with, with, with everything going into the office, getting started and all that. Um, but the key thing is to remember that this will pass. Um, and I think the, for, for young lawyers, I would say start building relationships. I've noticed a huge amount of that has been going on on LinkedIn. Um, 
and other social networking sites and even uh, even then back then no one it wasn't LinkedIn we had a group on Twitter that was all that was uh, I think we called it legals or something um, and it was all these lawyers who had taken to using Twitter early on to communicate with each other and so you had that going on but the the, the most important thing I think is start talking to people. If look, you're going to get some people who are just going to respond back and say, sorry, I'm not talking, I'm not hiring right now. You'll get some people who say, look, uh, I don't have a role right now, but I'm happy to tell you about how I got here and what I could recommend to you. Um, and then it's, it's all about just continuing to try to figure out what you can do and how to get your foot in the door and, constantly be open to new opportunities. I, I don't know what is going to happen. You know, I wish I did because then I, I would have started investing really, as soon as the stock market dropped this time, I would have started throwing money into the stock market. Stock market. Uh, I don't have that answer. What I do have is the fact that I've noticed a lot of people, like I said, I've noticed there's a, a huge uptick in just, hey, can you spare a few minutes for coffee and talk to me virtually? Uh, hey, how did you get to this point? What did you do? Well, what do you think is the key function, a key focus for me to go into? Uh, I would say that getting getting acquainted with all the all the changes that are going on in law, whether it's becoming trained in a new legal technology that's coming out, knowing about the privacy laws that are starting up, focusing on what can be done or focusing on other areas where law degrees are useful. Uh, I know quite a few people who were, who were going to be lawyers, got their law degree and said, you know what? I wanna go into marketing. I wanna go into public relations. I wanna go into sales. I wanna do something different. Where having the law degree is very helpful, but it's, it's not the end all be all in that world. Um, ultimately though, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's gonna be tough but we people have been through this before and i know that's like i feel like i feel like a boomer going well when i was your age mm -hmm. college only cost fifty dollars a semester uh, look, <laughs> look uh, uh, 2007 was not that long ago and the price of price of law school was high then and it's only gone up so uh, and you know it's it's a tough thing to deal with but the the, the core the key thing i think is that is that it's still that idea of can you connect with someone and can that person help you find something can that person help you can you figure out what you want to do i had no idea what an in-house lawyer did 10 years ago i was a i was doing litigation when i started and you know i i like i said at the beginning i hated it i hated being a litigator that being said i think being a litigator really prepares you for everything else in law um, and I think it does help you review contracts. It helps you know when you're out of your depth. It helps you recognize who you need to bring in. It helps you read through and recognize problems with contracts. And I think litigators make really good, or litigators that have switched to being more corporate side, more commercial side attorneys, have a real leg up in-house because you're not just looking at it from this contract looks fine. You're also looking at it from the perspective of where you will, where you can go, what can go wrong, and how would I fight this if something went wrong? Um, but the, 
the the key thing I would take away if we're a young lawyer or law student right now is, well, the first thing I always say if someone says something about going to law school is, do you really want to be a lawyer or do you not know what you want? And if your answer is you don't know what you want, you don't want to go to law school. I mean, that's that's the end of it. If you have no clue with what you want, you don't want to be a lawyer. Um, and I think that's going to become more and more applicable now that people are realizing that, and, and I, I thought this would have happened back in the back in the other back in the previous crisis, but law school enrollment went up. Um, but I, I think the key thing is, if you really want to be a lawyer, then you want to go to law school. If you don't know what that means or you don't want it, I would say the best answer is to really investigate whether you want to go to law school and become a lawyer. For law, for grad, for recent grads and 3Ls right now, I would say that the key thing is is to make contacts, ask someone if you can meet for coffee, not look for a job, but just have that contact. Because ultimately, if someone meets with you, they know you, even if it's virtual. And then, you know, then you'll get a note from someone, uh, and I've done this, where someone's, where I've said, hey, uh, I just met with this person, and I don't have an opening, but I think they may be good for this role you're looking for. Um, and ultimately, that's a lot of what goes on in hiring, no matter where you're going. Um, and then also explore what else is out there. I, you know, I, I for, for a while, I was going to go into, and I, I would have loved a job like yours, Bernie. Um, I thought, I thought I'd, go, I'd take my marketing background and go into the intersection of law and marketing. And it turns out that I really, really like being, being a GC and really, really like the business of law and practicing law internally. And I don't think I could ever give that up. But if I had, you know, I'd want to know what else is out there and where I could take it. And I think that's the key is to keep your eyes and ears open to start participating, to begin reaching out. And again, you're gonna get a lot of people who go, sorry, not hiring and just blow it off. You're also gonna get people like me who say, sure, let's set up, let's find 15 minutes and talk about what you're doing and see if I can help you and if there's anything I can do. Um, and I, th I think that's really it. It's, it's gonna be a lot more self-marketing, self-awareness self and Ultimately, just, you know, whether, whether it's, I wouldn't say pounding the pavement like people used to do, but pounding the virtual pavement and saying hello to people that, and just reaching out and hoping you get that response back. And, you know, I, I think that's really going to be the core. Um, the good news is, is I'm also hoping that this is not going to be as bad as it was, that, you know, with the fact that there's a lot more ability and going back to what I was saying earlier, with the fact that there's a lot more ability to do things remotely, with all the tools we have today, uh, I've hired someone at the beginning of the crisis and I've seen him once in the past four months. We've been on virtual calls, we've been on FaceTime, we've been on Teams meetings, Zoom meetings, but I met him for some total of four hours maybe totally so far. And he is a fantastic employee. He is doing a great job. And uh, he's a fantastic lawyer. 
And it all came through from being, you know, and it really came in because he ultimately reached out to me and reached out through a friend and said, hey, you know, your friend Jerry is hiring. Could I, do you think you could get my resume over to him? And as soon as I saw it, I said, I'm hiring him. Uh, because I just said, this is perfect. This is exactly what I'm looking for. So it's, it's, it's still all, it's still a lot of networking and a lot of, a lot of that, a lot of networking, a lot of interaction. And hopefully, you know, given all the technology changes and what we can do now in communication, we're going to see, it's going to be a lot easier to keep that up and hope and ultimately for new grads and recent grads and up rising three L's, it'll help them find jobs if they make sure to communicate. I think that's great advice. And um, I definitely relate to the power of networking. Uh, when I was in college, I basically got myself into a PhD program by emailing every single professor in my field on, in the Northeast uh, and asking them if they needed a research assistant. And uh, that ended up uh, kind of the person who uh, took me on as a re research assistant ended up being my advisor. So, um, you know, I definitely think you never know who you might connect with. And sometimes it feels like a little bit of a numbers game, but it works out um, if you kind of do the work and put the research in. So I wholeheartedly uh, agree with you on that. And especially it's so easy now with LinkedIn. Uh, so why not? I mean, look, I... I, uh, the, the, the most important thing I think though, is to give someone a reason why this, this, I keep posting this on LinkedIn and I keep getting, uh, I keep getting, uh, the same questions over and over or not the same questions. I keep getting the same issue over and over out of every 10 times someone, someone submits a connection request. One of them gives me a reason why they want to connect. The rest are just clicking my name and clicking connect. It's not, it doesn't work because I'm not going to respond. It, because I, I try to treat my LinkedIn profile very, you know, very much the people I actually know. So, and I think that's true for, I think some people treat it like a big Facebook and you just accept from everyone. Uh, but the best people I think on there are the ones who are, who are actually ensuring that their, their network is actually people they know or that they've communicated with. So the number one thing I could say is don't just connect, but give someone a reason why you want to connect or why they should connect with you uh, when you're reaching out, because that's, that's really going to be the first step. If you send me a message or if you send someone a message when you are writing, when you're trying to reach out, they're going to respond. If you just click connect, uh, sometimes I'll send a message back saying, hi, yeah, I saw you tried to connect. Why, why, what can I do for you? But a lot of times I just click ignore because if you couldn't be bothered to tell me why, or give me, give me at least an introduction, uh, why should I be bothered to reach back out to you? Uh, I did and the that same may thing. sound, yeah. that may sound a little harsh, but I think it's so key to building, building the relationships that all you have to do is tell me say, hi, I thought this was interesting, or hey, you know, you said, uh, you said something really interesting on that podcast with Bernie. Uh, I'd like to know more about that. Do you have a few minutes to talk? And I'll go back almost immediately and say, sure, when would you like to talk? And so I think that's the, that's the ultimate 
that's the, that's one of the big things. Yeah, I completely agree. I pretty much ignore every connection request that comes in uh, without a note. Uh, because it it just it shows a certain kind of laziness. If you really want to connect, then um, you know just just one line. <laughs> that's all. Just one sentence. But um, you know, it just I yeah. I mean, someone who doesn't uh, include any kind of note, they could literally just be uh, trying to connect with like everyone in their suggested connections list. And um, at that point, uh, you know, why do I need to pollute my feed? Yeah, so I guess my last question would be the one that really harkens back to the name of this podcast, and that's what you think will characterize the law firms of the future. Sure. Um, so I think, and I would say there are three things, but I don't want to hold myself down to three, even though it'll keep me from talking too much. <laughs> uh, the the I, I think we're we're going to see distribution distributed distributed legal services across a variety of locations uh, will be the first thing and i think the the covid-19 crisis really uh, really started that up and and has led to a lot of changes across most law firms in how they handle this but i think we're going to start to see more of the uh, more of the distri distribution of lawyers working where they want to and not being in the not being in the office because that won't be as important the the negative to that is you're going the, the positive to that is you're going to be able to choose where you work and when you work and how that goes the negative is you know you're going to lose that face time with people and we're going to have to come up with new ways to make that to make that functional uh, because uh, honestly, Bernie, I think I've talked to you more than some of my, some of the people I work with normally. Um, you know, I've talked to you more during this whole crisis, more than some people in my office. Uh, I've sent them emails, but it's just a change in how we're doing business generally. Uh, the second thing I think that the future of law is really going to bring is uh, we're going to see a lot more emphasis on technical know-how and technical ability uh, than we are, and not, not, just, not, just, not just technical legal ability, but legal technology technical ability. And I think that's gonna be a real driver for, uh, for law firms in their hiring will be where they, have you done this, have you taken these courses? Do you understand how to how to handle this sort of work. Um, you know, 10 years ago, you started seeing people coming in 10, 15 years ago as e-discovery partners who were specialists, who were litig litigators who had a real knowledge of the e-discovery process to make sure that firms didn't violate, didn't violate the law or didn't violate rules about e-discovery. You're going to see a lot more, I think, growth in, in lawyers who have specialized training in legal technology and the way to conduct business going forward as far as what's available for them to use and what's available to grow with. Um, I think the going from there, you're also going to see a lot of, a lot of growth in, in maybe 
so I, I said the word distributed legal services earlier to talk about people working remotely. I think we're also going to see, see some growth in uh, what I will call uh, disambiguated legal services, where you, you're not going to go to one firm for every single thing. Um, and I think that is going to be a longer term shift because it's going to be very hard for lawyers to accept that, but it's going to be something that's ultimately going to happen just from the marketplace requiring it. Um, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with the Walmartization of law, as some people have called it, but I think what you'll see is, is you'll see provide legal providers and lawyers who say, who really begin focusing on one thing or a, a group of things that end to the exclusion of everything else. Uh, more along the lines, I guess, of immigration practitioners who all they do is immigration law and they're very good at it, but they don't want to touch anything that's not immigration. You're going to start seeing that, I think, as one of the new trends in legal, legal service provision. And it's not going to be everybody, but it's going to be definitely a way for cost savings to occur. And uh, you do see it with some providers like Priori, where you can go and have the bid, you can have set where you're looking for someone and you want that pre-vetted pre lawyer who does what they do and you want them to go out and get them for you rather than you having to interview 10, 15, 20 law firms to find a group that you're working with and that you're happy about. Um, I, I think those would be the big three that I see. I see beyond that, you know, I, I without going, I, I work for an AI company. You work for an AI company. Uh, one of the big changes that's going to hit everyone is just the, the change to having more uh, intelligent systems with the way we work, more cognitive systems with the way we work. And that ultimately changes the way we respond to things in terms of, a pra in terms of practicing law. Um, for, for, from my perspective, you know, I'm going to be looking more for the way firms are utilizing uh, intelligent technologies to improve the provision of legal services. Uh, you know, I want to make sure that, that they're properly classifying messages. I want to be sure that, you know, if I have a question, you know, maybe we'll see a, you know, I would love to see law firms adopt Amelia, which is our product at IPsoft, to enhance the client, enhance client responsiveness. Uh, you know, from just a from a more general general legal practice point of view, I want to have I want to begin having, you know, a first set of eyes. Maybe could be a machine on a contract, not a not a paralegal or a lawyer, so that we can dedicate more time to doing the human side of law, the, the, the more in-depth review of something that a machine may have flagged for us. So, you know, th there are plenty of companies already doing this with NDAs, NDAs, you know, can you have that initial review uh, where it says these things match 80% of your guidelines and here are some suggested changes 
But obviously, the computer is not practicing law. It's saying, we've recognized these things, and now, human, you take a look at it and make sure that we, that we can do these things and that we can go forward from there. Um, you know, it speeds up contract drafting if I can go into a system and have it help me out by suggest by saying, as I'm, as I'm doing work, hey, uh, you've used this sentence a lot before. Uh, do you want to add this to your playbook? It seems like, I mean, uh, I'm talking to a vendor right now that does this, where they're going to start comparing playbooks with what we want to, with what we say we do, with what we actually do to find out how often we're actually deviating from our playbook. And ultimately the goal is to say, you know, with, with this, we're actually getting to a point where we can actively have the law firm and the, the lawyer, not the law firm, the law firm actively assisted by artificial intelligence in doing a better job on behalf of our clients. Um, beyond hey. that, sorry, Bernie. No, uh, continue. Beyond that, beyond that, I think I think that's going to be the key the key driver of change is the technology is improving. The changes are happening. It's really whether you want to be a whether you want to lag behind everybody and ultimately be, you know. I know a wonderful real estate attorney uh, who I, every time I talk to him, I, I'm astounded that he, he's proof that old, old, that old lawyers never die because he is absolutely, he is a fantastic real estate attorney. He is definitely been practicing for longer than my grandparents have been alive. I get things from him that have been typed up with a typewriter. Um, and, but honestly, his wealth of knowledge is there. And ultimately though, you, you know, he called me up one day and said, Jerry, you, do you know how to use email? And like I, I mean, recently? I like, this was recent. Wow. And, uh, I, so, and he said, because some of my clients are saying they block AOL addresses and I know you're, I know you're young. And I'm sitting there going, I'm, yes, I'm young, but I, 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 I would, and I helped him. But he, he finally said on that conversation, you know, after, after however many years I've been practicing, it may finally be time for me to retire because I don't, cause, and he's doing it, he's do, he practices law still because he loves it. And I think, I think that's, that's important, but we're also going to need to know, he also knows he, he was very clear. He said, the practice of law is changing. He said, and I may finally be at a point where I can't keep up. And, and you know, he said, but I'm also ready to be okay with that. And I think that's going to be the real, the real thing that, that lawyers need to pick up on is if you're not willing to make the changes, if you're not willing to modernize, if you're not willing to adopt new, adapt to and adopt new technologies, are you ready to really be left behind? Or are you willing to see your, or are you willing to take that step and hopefully improve your client service, improve responsiveness, deliver a better product, a better legal product, and ultimately be, you know, in my sense, ultimately be a, an awesome lawyer for all your, for all your clients. All right. Well, um, 
Well, thank you again for joining me today, Jerry. I think this was a really illuminating conversation. I know we touched on a lot of different topics, but, um, you know, I think uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, awesome law is definitely uh, kind of a good description for uh, where you see the future of the industry going. So thanks again. Thank you, Bernie, for having me, and I will talk to you soon. From Zero, this is the Law Firms of the Future. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and a review. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I'd also like to introduce you to the Rainmaker podcast, created by our friends at Legalist, a tech-enabled litigation finance firm. The Rainmaker podcast interviews top litigators at Amlaw 200 firms about how they made partner. Past guests have included Rainmakers at Kirkland and Ellis, Sussman Godfrey, and Holland and Knight. So if you're enjoying our show, you might like the Rainmaker podcast as well. So go on and give it a listen.